welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Dee, one of the managing editors at Anifem. Hey, I'm Vry, I'm the managing content editor at Anifem. And I'm Alex, a contributions editor here at Anifem. We're going to talk about sexuality and reproductive rights today through a somewhat humorous lens by centering it around the comedy manga series Sex Ed 120%. If you haven't heard of this one before, don't worry, it's new. And we there's not a whole lot we can spoil, but there's a few relationship elements that sort of, you know, hash out over the course of the series. Uh, we will avoid spoilers in these early moments. This will just be like synopsis, broad strokes type stuff. We'll let you know when we really start to dig into the series proper. Okay, so Sex Ed 120% is written by Tataki Kikiki, which is super fun to say, and drawn by Hotomura. The manga is three volumes long. It was released from 2020 through 2021 in Japan, and then pretty much immediately published in English by Yen Prest. And by the way, shout out to translator Amanda Haley, who really put in the work on this one. Uh, it is an edutainment manga of sorts, uh, sort of in the vein of series like Cells at Work or Heaven's Design Team, except that this one is about sex education. It follows Tsuji-sensei, a young PE teacher at an all-girls school who's passionate about making sure her students are educated on every aspect of sexuality and gender, not just what's covered in the school textbook. She, uh... <sighs> maybe comes in a little hot on day one by dumping a box of condoms and dental dams on the table, and she winds up butting heads with the vice principal as well as the seemingly straight-laced school nurse, Nakazawa. But Tsuji-sensei also bonds with some of her students, especially Matsuda, a straight girl who loves BL, or boys love manga, Moria, a lesbian secretly dating one of her classmates, and Kashiwa, an asexual and aromantic biology nerd. Shenanigans and maybe some romance ensue, but through it all, Suji works to shed light on supposedly taboo subjects, demystifying and destigmatizing sexuality for her students and for the readers at home. Um, so, some content warnings before we dig into this, just for folks who are, heard that description and went, Well, this sounds cool, and you haven't heard of this one yet. Uh, despite Yen Press writing this M for Mature and slapping a parental advisory sticker on it and wrapping it in plastic. <laughs> There are, it's so much. Uh, there are actually relatively few major content warnings for this one. Like it, I mean, obviously because of the subject matter, it does spend a lot of time talking about sex and sexuality. And this includes discussions about things like sexual assault, misogyny, and queer phobia. But like, I was trying to think of things in the book that I would consider explicit. And there's a couple of, I would describe as very tastefully framed shots of some of the girls trying out the dental dams. Um, there's really not anything super graphic about it. Like the focus is on education and not erotica. So the so if you look at this one and you see the plastic wrap and you go, ah, this must be porn. It It is not. It is not even close to porn. Um, I actually think it does a pretty good job of showing teens, teen sexuality without sexualizing teens. Uh, but we can get into that more later. Uh, Tsuji-sensei does have some issues with personal boundaries that we will dig into later. But I was trying to think of like, you know, content warnings. And for me, the big one would be for trans and gender queer folks, because the series, like, especially early on, it's pretty trans exclusive in the language in terms of it talks about like women's bodies and men's bodies. In later chapters, it does acknowledge and, and is very accepting of trans people. And again, we'll discuss this more in detail later. Um, so I think we, again, we will talk about this more later. It feels more like an oversight than like an intentional, like turfish exclusion, the way the language is framed in the early books. Um, but I could definitely see it being upsetting for folks. So fair warning going in that there is a lot of talk about like, you know, a woman, a woman's right to choose rather than a person who can get pregnant's right to choose. Right. So that, that kind of thing, just, just be aware of that going in. 
Uh, Vry, Alex, can you think of anything else that folks should know before they dive into this one? Like, did, did I miss anything there? No, really, my only caveat is those first couple of chapters, and that's really all where uh, Suji-sensei is a little bit uh, sexual harassy at work, and then that drops off basically immediately. Yeah, yeah, and she even later says, you know, that was probably inappropriate, and I know I have some, I know I have some issues where I make jokes that are not appropriate, and like, she talks about it being like in terms of consent, but I think that's really what she's talking about is the way she sometimes talks to uh, Nakazawa, the nurse. Um, so it does sort of get addressed and yeah, dropped off pretty quick. But I agree that was not super comfy in the first couple chapters. So be aware of that going in. Um, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I don't have anything else I can think of. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, so true to its subject matter, this series is a grab bag of intersectional feminist topics, and there will be plenty for us to discuss. Uh, but before we started digging into the series itself, I wanted to get some personal takes from you both. I guess just kind of to start, like, what was your overall impression of the series? Did you have a good time with this one? I I was surprised with this one. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, you know, the sort of the, it, it does, it's maybe the only example I can think of where, in all technicalities, it is a sex comedy or like, you know, a comedy where all the jokes are about sex, but it's not like it is just very matter of fact, very educational, very biological. It's not bawdy. <laughs> it's not like exploitative. I don't know. It was refreshing just for that. And honestly, yeah, I was, uh, especially guys, given what you just said about the, um, you know, yes, women's bodies, men's bodies kind of stuff at the start. That's kind of what I was expecting all the way through. I wasn't mad about it. I was just like, oh yeah, it's the way it's going to be. It's fairly expected, I guess. Um, so I was really genuinely pleasantly surprised when it, how, queer and inclusive it got the further it went along um you know it even talked about things like yeah like non-binary and like asexual and aromantic you know identities I was like oh my gosh I like you know I'm just even even in the in the context of media from anywhere in the world it is a pleasant surprise when you know a, a story or a piece of edutainment acknowledges and remembers that those exist so I was like oh okay um so it's great on you know that that representation front I think hiccups aside um but also yeah it frames it through these really fun kind of cute characters it's not the deepest story in the world but you know you get invested you get hooked into the characters and want to see them kind of grow and learn and overall it's just yeah it's fun yeah, I was, I picked this up basically on a whim. I am genuinely quite angry that this is wrapped in plastic because, like you said, it is pretty purely informational and the audience who should be reading it is teenagers because mm -hmm. this is so mm -hmm. useful. Uh, I may or may not, when I'm at a bookstore, go through and just quietly take the plastic wrap off of them for the teenagers <laughs> who need to flip through it at the bookstore. Absolutely because they can't brilliant. take it home to their parents. That's so. terrific. Um, you heard you heard it here, folks. Go to your local bookstore and rip the plastic off of these so that people can check them out. <laughs> no, I love that. That was, you know, and that, that kind of feeds into a question I was, I was going to ask later, but I'll, you know, bring it up now. I think, like, if you were going to recommend this to people, I agree, like, despite all the, all the warning and things around it that make it look like it's going to be a porn series, I would absolutely throw this at high schoolers because, or maybe even, like, older middle schoolers, depending upon you know, who they are. Um, different kids become sexually active at different ages because there is such a bevy of information in here that is really useful and near as I can tell from my research, pretty accurate. So um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that, right? Like, like you want to throw this at, at high schoolers in particular, I think, because of, because of the way it's set up. Well, and it's, it's especially nice to have, honestly, because in depressing news, 
that's just what happens when you're into anime and manga, apparently. Uh, the the I think the other standout example of sort of body positive puberty manga that we had up till now was Please Tell Me Galko-chan. Uh, and um, yes. <laughs> the artist of that was recently um, re- arrested for possession of child pornography. Yeah, that one was devastating for a lot of members of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so this is this is the new series, and and God willing, in the creek don't rise. The author and artist of this one will continue to be decent people uh, based the on the context so of the series. Yeah, don't be a criminal. Um, hell, just don't be a sex criminal. If you want to smoke pot, that's fine. Yeah, no, but- <laughs> have some pot. Weed is yeah. great. <laughs> okay, so keeping with the getting back on track. Uh, folks who have never heard us before, this is common. Welcome to the tangent corner. Um, no, so so keeping with the idea of you know it being an educational series, uh, did you guys learn anything new from this one? I did actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, well, the first one's kind of more of a, a practical uh, legislative kind of thing than I expected, but I, I did learn about, you know, um, the uh, anti-discriminatory policies surrounding love hotels, because there's that, that scene where the two teachers are kind of messing around in, I think, is it uh, not Shibuya, Shinjuku? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That area, yeah. In the case, um, and they're looking at love hotels, and the... They're, they're kind of just going to go in and check it out or even they're just sort of loitering in the lobby, I think, and the manager tries to shoo them away and uh, the school nurse whips out the legislation and is like, no, no, you, that's, there's an anti-discriminatory, you know, there's a, there's a law against this. You'll get a fine if you turn people away based on their gender or sexuality. And the manager's like, oh, you got me. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it's a joke because they oh, we were just looking and they leave and he chases them out anyway, but... Yeah, you know, that was just a really interesting thing because you, um, <laughs> funnily enough, I had sort of encountered that or the other end of that factoid before just with a, a travel channel I watch on YouTube where they like to, you know, showcase hotels and places to stay in Japan. And mm-hmm. they've had multiple occasions where they've had to say, we were going to show you guys this great, you know, beautiful themed love hotel suite. But because the presenter and cameraman were both men, they got turfed out. But now I know they're not allowed to do that. They can get fined. Um, so, hey, that was really interesting. But, um, honestly, the whole discussion around, um, diva cups and, like, the different menstrual products, I found fascinating because I just had not had that conversation before in my Mm -hmm. teen years or since. I don't know if it's, like, they're a newer thing or they're not as popular here or they were just, like, I don't know, the PE teachers who taught me health were just a bit cringe about it. I don't know. We can get to that later. But, yeah, (laughs) I, I learned some fun, some fun tips about that stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that uh, like I don't have to worry about it anymore because testosterone. Woo woo! But this was the first time I'd heard of period panties, which seems like a cool thing. It seems like a cool thing in practice, but I cannot imagine it working. In I mean, it seems like a cool thing in theory. I have a hard time imagining it working in practice, or not just being a big sticky mess. But, it seems uh, like a good backup, like if you have yeah. trouble with tampons overnight. Yeah. And, and maybe they're, and like, or maybe if you have lighter periods or I don't know, I, I was not familiar with those either. I also learned a lot from this series. My favorite, like, random one page fun fact was that the clitoris can get morning wood. I was like, huh, I, I, I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> but I didn't, I had not, I had not actually heard that before. So. And also, you know, germane to the. Uh, to to the packet that this goes with, there I learned a lot about um, abortion services in Japan, where it is apparently yeah. 
quite expensive um, if you want mm-hmm. to have an abortion there. Yeah, there are, and yeah, I'm I'm sure we'll we'll dig into into more into that topic and some of the others as well as we go. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot about sort of the the state of like Alex was saying, some of the some of the legalities or procedures and stuff in Japan, where you know, I mean, I I read as much English information as I can possibly get my hands on, but a lot of it by nature of translation takes a while, tends to be a little outdated. So having something that was written in 2020 was really helpful to kind of help me see some of the nitty gritty that I'd maybe miss that you maybe don't get a chance to talk about when you're summarizing it for, you know, a, a, a feminist, a book on feminism in Japan or something like that. So those were all, all very, very useful factoids, especially for us as we work, you know, for a, a feminist anime website and sometimes need to like fact check and link to things like that. So, so very useful for us from a professional perspective too, as well. I did find it kind of interesting in that I, not even in like a bad thing because I, I think it would probably be discouraging for the intended audience, but considering this book doesn't kind of shy away from some of the tougher things about current legislation, um, and actually overall, I think the trans chapters it do, does are pretty uh, pretty thorough and really mm-hmm. uh, affirmative. It does not include the fact that uh, at time of talking in Japan, you are still required uh, to be sterilized if you want to change your... Um, your sex on your on your family registry yeah yeah and uh finish transitioning through surgery through surgery yeah there's that that chapter to me very felt a lot of some of these chapters go like really deep into detail and that one felt a little more 101 um i kind of get the sense that the writers are that the writer is more familiar with um the lgb and less the t not in a way that like they're like aggressive or hostile towards trans folks, but just like, just maybe isn't their, their subject of like expertise or their personal experience. And so you do kind of get that sense in that chapter of like, all of this is cool, but I really don't know that much about it to be able to talk about it in like a ton of detail. Although even then it it does more than a lot of uh, manga and works in general that I've seen in terms of talking about, you know, gender presentation and, you know, being trans femme doesn't mean you have to be super girly, vice versa, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And like yeah, yeah, varieties yeah. of social versus surgical presentation. So like they've, they've put the work in. It's just, it's a fairly short section within the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. But I can certainly imagine, you know, if you had, if that was like the first place you had access to that information, I think, you know, it's a, pre- it's a pretty good springboard into other stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I can certainly like, you know, if I had picked this up when I was a teenager and got that section, I would have been like, oh, re- oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> which, you know, yeah, it sounds very one-on-one to us now, but certainly for someone who maybe needs that information, I mm-hmm. imagine, yeah, it's very, you know, it's an excellent start, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this, this series, you know, overall, I think a lot of it is like, if you're interested in this, you can find out more kind of thing, um, especially mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they actually put in like what a QR code to an online Japanese resource. Like these books are, are dedicated to giving the readers more information if they want to go seek it out, which I think is really cool. Okay. So this series is an educational series, but it's also a comedy series. So my other sort of early personal experience question for you uh, was, do you have like a favorite line, anything that particularly stuck with you? I guess it doesn't have to be one of the funnier lines, but uh, something that you just you just loved from this one. I feel like it's. I don't know that it's my favorite line, but the one that stuck up, stuck with me is the long labia thing. <laughs> I am so glad you said that because I marked that one. I had two, and that was one of the ones I marked. <laughs> 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 because I, 
I still think about it and I still laugh. Okay, folks at home, so um, they do these, in the third volume, there's like these little mini sections where it's supposedly like an anonymous question asked to Suji Sensei, and then Suji Sensei enthusiastically answers it with a big old thumbs up, and it's like the same image of her in every panel, so it becomes kind of a running joke. But the question for this one is, can't I do something about how big my labia are? And Suji responds, hey, they're cute. They look like they could fly. It's so good. And then I had that mental image and I was like, ah, that's where the idea of witches being able to fly comes from. I understand everything now. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, I thought that one was delightful. Uh, Alex, anything, anything that sticks out to you? Um, there are a lot of really funny moments. I enjoy, um, like even the, one of the really early chapters where we're talking about masturbation, where one of them is mm-hmm. like, you actually use it to clear your head. And she's like having a hard time studying and she's uh-huh. like really determined, just all right. It's time. All right. I'm feeling so good now. Um, that I found particularly funny. Um, but actually, you know, my favorite line, I think, is a, is a, on the more sappy end of the spectrum where it's right at the end where they make mm-hmm. um, minor spoilers, I suppose, but they make a beautiful educational display for their cultural festival about, you know, gender, sexuality, all this sort of fun, fun facts they've learned across the semester, basically. And one of the staff comes through and looks through and there's kind of this moment of tension, like, oh, is he going to tell us to take it all down because it's obscene or something but yeah 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 it's, it's the vice principal who they've butted heads with earlier in the series yeah yeah yeah. and so yes yeah, so he's <laughs> he's kind of he's not the antagonist of the series but he's kind of set up as like you know he's the old god he's you know he's one of the few older men in the series for example yeah. and he's you know enforcing the dress code and seems to be a bit more old school in regards to all that but he looks at all this and just very quietly says oh if i you know if we'd had a festival like this many years ago you know maybe things would would have been different and just leaves and leaves them be mm-hmm. that was just fascinating to me because you can you know what do you read into that it's kind of up to you you know it yeah. speaks so many volumes and it kind of acts as a very nice uh encapsulation of the sort of thesis of the whole series is just like yeah hey how you know having access to this information in this accessible fun way can change lives and so i found that a very sweet that really stuck with me a very sweet uh cap off that is a really nice moment. I especially like, because I think Suji Sensei chases him kind of out into the hallway and just kind of calls after him like, it's not too late. Um, and again, it's yeah. intentionally sort of vague as to whether she's like talking just about like the education program at their school or if she, or if like he's maybe closeted and she's encouraging him to like, you know, be his authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is intentionally, you know, like you said, sort of vague about that. But I thought that was also a, a sweet moment that, you know, not just the education aspect, but also the like you're going to continue to grow and change and learn and and that's okay. And just sort of figuring it out as you go, like sex ed is a lifelong, because that's sort of like the capstone of the series, right? Sex ed is like a lifelong process. Like you're going to keep learning new things and you should be open to that and to trying new things and, and changing as you, as you discover and that kind of thing. And I thought that was, yeah, that was a really nice moment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wrap us up after that, after that sweet um, and emotional uh, touchstone in the series, I'm going to wrap us up with a crass line. <laughs> Which is, yeah. which is the bonus chapter where they go to the beach and they're getting hit on by those guys. And then they start talking about how about pickup artists and how they're awful because they're basically just treating women like objects and trophies that they are showing off to their friends. And Suji Sensei, who is not familiar with pickup artists, but Nakazawa has explaining this to her, Suji summarizes by saying, so in summary, pickup artists can go fuck themselves and die, right? <laughs> <laughs> and... That was at the top of the page as you flipped it, and I had to pause for a minute because I was laughing so hard. 
I was like, well, she's she's not wrong. <laughs> and she brings the same energy and his enthusiasm. She's like, this is the lesson of today. It's this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so fuck these guys. I understand now. <laughs> it's very it's very excellent. Yes. Direct um, and to the point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then, so another question I had for you both uh, regarding personal experience here is how does Suji's class compare to your experience? And we're, hey folks, we're going to travel into the way back machine here because all of us are, uh, are a fair bit out removed from high school at this point. Uh, how does this compare to your experience of sex ed in school? Um, and Alex, I'm sure yours will be, I, I, I imagine Brian and I might be a little bit more similar because we're both from the States and you are mm. from Australia. Uh, for folks at home who are wondering where, where we're all stationed. So, but yeah, so how does, how does this compare? <laughs> like, do you have, was, was sex ed a, a, a rigorous and comprehensive experience for you? Or, or do you have a, or do you have a bad story? I, mm, okay. If I may begin with uh, my, <laughs> my, <laughs> I'm giggling just thinking about it. So my favorite, this is not necessarily indicative of the state of sex ed in Australia in the 2010s. But my favorite story from my high school sex ed is um, <laughs> they, they had us do a relay race across the quad where we had to sprint, put a condom on a banana, sprint, <laughs> tag the next person. <laughs> and I would love to know the logic behind it. I wonder if they worried that we would, you know, disengage if it was not gamified in some way. I wonder if the PE teachers just got a bit bored and wanted to go back to their comfort zone of teaching sports. Um, but I certainly remember at the time thinking, I don't know that this is uh, preparing me for a practical scenario. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. Sometimes the pa- sometimes your parents are going to go come home in like ten minutes, and you need to have sex fast. <laughs> <laughs> that's true just like you got to make sure you do it properly efficiency is key um, yes. <laughs> but look apart from that I remember it being very mechanical it was very much like all right these are boy bits these are girl bits this is how they fit together this is how pregnancy <laughs> happens and these are the symptoms and effects of various STDs and you don't want those do you so here's how you use a condom that is most of kind of the gist which is not bad information by any means um but certainly reading this reading this series i was quite blown away you know trying to imagine if we had had any of those really uh, open conversations about yeah like masturbation and consent and like I don't know I as a person who now identifies comfortably as asexual I think a lot about how I don't know that anyone in my sex education ever told us that sex was meant to be fun <laughs> like, it was I don't know if they just assumed you know obviously everyone in the room is allosexual everyone's gonna get you know get a kick out of it but yeah. I don't know like uh, seeing a lot of conversations in the in the series surrounding you know the importance of pleasure different ways you can achieve that the importance of communication and relationships all that stuff it's like oh yeah you know that really expressing to your students this is a thing that people do for pleasure together and mm-hmm. if it's not pleasurable you don't have to do it <laughs> like, yeah you know it's it's an activity you can do as a couple the same, you know, watching anime is an activity together. Playing Scrabble is an activity you do together. So is yeah. sex. Like really, like, destigmatizing it and putting it down as something much more, you know, casual and natural, I think would have, I don't know, changed the way that I and a lot of other people thought about it. So that is the kind of the main thing missing and the main thing I found really interesting about Suji-sensei's classes is, yeah, there's a lot more um, emphasis on, you know, 
recognizing the students as individual sexual beings with different needs and really emphasizing that and saying, hey, go in and enjoy it, but responsibly, which never really was a conversation that came up. It was mostly the, yeah, here's, <laughs> don't get syphilis, here's how you put a condom on a banana. Yeah. We've stopped the timer now, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Move it or lose it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It's a memory that you maintain, so I guess they did something right there. <laughs> I mean, I was certainly, some years later, I was in a scenario where a condom had to be applied, and I think I told my, my then boyfriend about that. He was like, that's, why? <laughs> I, was like, yeah, I mean, I do, I, I, I'm enjoying this much more now, I don't have to run a race to do it. <laughs> uh, so uh, how, does, how does that compare to your... um? Were you also taught by PE teachers who were uh, grasping for ways to make it exciting? I mean, it, it's typically PE teachers, I, I, I can speak. I mean, just kind of in broad U.S. strokes, like it's very different district to district um, because mm -hmm. there's national guidelines, but there's nothing you really have to follow. Um, when I was doing the the like preliminary research on this, I wanted to make sure I had some understanding. I did a bunch of research on Japan, but I wanted to make sure it didn't come across as us like snubbing our noses at Japan because it's pretty terrible here too. So I wanted to make sure I had a pretty good grasp on that. It's like I said, it's, it's very localized and um, it's only, I, I got some slightly different numbers. So I think probably things have just shifted over the last few years. And so it was, it was tough for me to get like a 100% a perfect, but sex ed is only required in like half of the States in the U S and a lot of those, um, it's not comprehensive. There are basically three types. There's abstinence only, abstinence plus, and comprehensive. And abstinence only is pretty much what it sounds like. Like, don't ever have sex. You'll get pregnant. You'll get an STD and you will die. Like the mean girls. You like the, the bit from mean girls with their PE teacher, right? Mm -hmm. Abstinence plus is like, you shouldn't have sex. The best way to prevent pregnancy and STDs is to not have sex. But in case you do, here's how condoms work. Here's how, like, you know, here's how contraceptive works, basically. And then comprehensive goes into a lot more in terms of like, like the whole body picture. Basically what, what Suji teaches is a comprehensive sex ed class. Um, you know, you, you talk about social and gender roles and power structures and um, assault and consent and um, pregnancy and also abortion. And you get, you know, you get the full picture of, of what sex is and what sexuality is and what gender is and like how these elements sort of integrate with each other. But like I said, a lot of places in the U.S., despite despite the majority of parents supporting sex ed in both middle school and high school, um, like the vast majority, like like over 90 percent, it's not required in a lot of places. And in a lot of places, it's pretty atrocious. It's pretty much just don't have sex or you'll get pregnant. So stop it. Shake my finger at you. Um, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about about the the state of the of the sex ed union in Japan. Um, but that's just just kind of an overview before Brian and I get into our U.S. experiences. So if they if they seem different, it is because of how localized it is, like based on your school district, your state, all that jazz. So Vry, would you like to go first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I uh, came up. I grew up in Wyoming uh, in a Catholic household. And I was in high school during the Bush administration. Uh, so let me give you a moment to paint a picture of how that goes. <sighs> uh, so my memories of sex ed were in middle school. In eighth grade, I had a class called, uh, I can't remember, I think it was family, you know, personal responsibility or something like that, where I watched a video of a live birth. And oh, yes. I 
plan. I had an assignment where I had to plan a vacation to, to simulate a uh, preparing for a household budget. And then in high school, I remember that they brought in a motivational speaker who fast forward about uh, 30 seconds to 60 seconds. If you are not here for gross body horror, oh, uh, no. spoiler alert, this was a, uh, that this was in fact an abstinence only fear based speaker oh, no. who told us a story that has stuck with me to this day and is absolutely 100% fake where allegedly this person with a tongue piercing had given um, a blowjob to somebody had gotten a pubic hair you know wrapped around the barb in their tongue and of course naturally uh, that had caused pubic lice to uh, hatch inside of her tongue which she then had to go for the emergency room for you know and then you know they removed the barb and gosh all of these live crabs come scuttling this is such bullshit <laughs> it's sticking with me to this day <laughs> Oh my lord. I, I okay, so I've heard that as an urban legend told amongst the students. I didn't know that like speakers taught it to people. Huh? Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. So is that is that an is that a don't get piercings thing? Like I feel like you would listen to that, like, okay, so I can I can give blowjobs as long as my tongue piercing isn't in. I see. <laughs> On it. Thanks, man. <laughs> and so let in, in defense of my mother, she did offer to talk to me about sex, uh, and I stridently refused because I was a teenager. <laughs> and she really did do her best to be like, you know, sex is nice and fun as long as you're married. Yeah. So she was doing what she could within being extremely Catholic. Uh, but also, while I did have a book on puberty and like menstruation and that kind of stuff, I was woefully uneducated as to what sex was. I think I was in 11th grade and I still thought oral sex meant like French kissing. Wow, <laughs> your your friends weren't filthy like mine were. So. No, and also you know dysphoria. It was fine with me not not doing a lot of experimenting around and stuff. Yeah. How about you, D? Um, you know, I think what we probably had was what they what this the stuff I was reading termed as abstinence plus. Um, I would describe our health teacher as maybe not um fully checked in when when talking to us but like we got the you know we got the i mean the best way to prevent pregnancy and stds is to just not have sex so like keep that in mind but also like here are contraceptive methods and um i here's the thing i had really no interest in sex like i'm i am also like alex asexual um which of course i did not know in high school um but i was also like what 15 14 so i it's not that odd for 14 15 year olds not like lots of them are and that's fine but it's also not that unusual for allosexual 14 15 year olds to not be interested in sex yet so i just it wasn't something that i like so i was i think i was a little bit checked out in the class because it was like yeah yeah yeah, i know condoms yeah yeah, yeah birth control like i was aware of all of this because my family was full of middle school teachers and they knew they knew what the kids were doing so <laughs> they, they made sure i had you know maybe not a maybe not a graphic understanding but a an overall you know uh basic bullet point understanding um but i wasn't it wasn't something i saw myself doing for years like i was very much a uh like saving myself for marriage which i now realize was and it wasn't like i was judgy of other kids that was just me <laughs> but i also now realize that was a real good excuse for me to not have to engage with sex a thing i did not want to do and had no interest <laughs> in doing but of course i did not know that at the time uh my main memories of our sex ed class were watching bless our teacher <laughs> for this terrible thing watching a lot of like 80s after school specials about things like teen <laughs> like about things like teen pregnancy and like sexual assault and 
the uh, the one about assault like has definitely wedged in my head as a oh this is a horrifying thing I definitely don't want ta- to happen um, this poor woman and it wasn't like a victim blamey thing like it it was pretty like realistic to the kind of victim blaming that happens but the story itself was not um, but obviously very melodramatic and overblown like a lot of those after school specials are we also did presentations on STDs where everybody got an STD they had to research and discuss I got scabies so we all had to bring in a visual model. And I brought in a little model scabie I made out of like cardboard, pa- out of like paper and a bowl and some uh, pipe cleaners for his little legs. And I gave it a little angry face. My teacher wasn't super, <laughs> my teacher was not amused, but I did get an A. So I think it probably worked out okay. So I think we all could have used Itsuji to be uh-huh. sex positive. And the other thing I really like about sex ed 100% because, you know, again, two of the people on this call are ace. It's also really chill about like, it's totally natural to have these urges, but it's also like totally natural not to. Like, that's also fine. And that was mm-hmm. definitely not something I got. Like, I think, you know, regardless of, of the the level of detail we got in our sex ed class, like overall, I think my school was, I grew up in Kansas, by the way, so this, but Northeastern Kansas, which is its own thing. I think it was a little more edged towards sex positivity in terms of like, yeah, this is a thing that happens. Like it, you know as you get older, you're going to have like these sexual urges or whatever they called them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was, there was never that, but you didn't get that, but also like, maybe you won't and that's fine. And like, that would have been nice. That would have been nice to hear. Uh, So I I appreciate the, the overall like positivity. And, you know, I think the series, despite the trans exclusive language that does get used throughout, um, throughout in terms of like talking about bodies, there's, there's very much an overall push towards like acceptance and diversity and like, inclusion so i you know i I appreciate that and i would have i would have liked to see see more of that in in school because you know another thing we didn't talk about is god no did anyone talk about gay people in those health classes yes again not in like a homophobic way it just it didn't just didn't just didn't oh it was it was in a homophobic way oh right i think you had yeah for me it was also just like it just didn't get talked about um or if it did it was like super in passing like i probably shouldn't even say this because i'm probably gonna get in trouble okay we're gonna move on um so Mm. yeah right i think you i think you maybe had the worst of it among the three of us uh so so it's okay it's funny now and shout out to all the fan fiction and Anne rice novels that gave me very bad things i had to unlearn (laughs) yeah that's you know one of my favorite lines from a slightly related series which is my lesbian experience with loneliness is when she's talking about the stuff that wasn't taught in sex ed and she talks about how like everybody sort of was figuring things out from the fiction and like the media they were consuming and there's a line in that that's like, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not saying that the fiction, that the existence of the fiction is wrong. The problem is we were never given the correct information. And, you know, that is that is like what is so important about sex. That is like, it's not like kids aren't going to find out about sex elsewhere. Um, they're just going to probably find out about it in incorrect and possibly unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's the importance of, of these classes and, and having a teacher explain to you what consent is and that victim blaming is wrong and, you know, all that all that good jazz that comes up in this series. I mean, yeah, because that's another cool thing that the series does is that a, uh, quite a couple of times, quite explicitly, it's like, don't take what you see in porn 
as reality or you know don't don't take what you see in your bl dowgen as reality um and i don't know we may get back to this in a moment but like i found the whole chapter where you had like the two the two girlfriends and then like the bisexual bl author and then the presumably straight by bl um fan they had a really interesting conversation about like what does it mean to you know to read these really maybe romanticized uh tropey you know perhaps exoticized you know stories about queer men as a queer person or a straight person or like what is you know what is that what do you get out of that what does that tell you about life how does that reflect onto the experience of real queer men whose experience we do not share I found that fascinating because I hadn't really seen that certainly not in a manga hadn't really seen that uh hashed out to that degree and it brought up some really interesting stuff it is a really thorough discussion of a discourse that I feel like gets rehashed every few months in I that's one of my favorite parts of the series is Mm -hmm. is how well it it hits all those points and sort of calmly and, and I don't I feel like it settled is perhaps a bit patronizing to say, but I feel like it really sums up both the, the drawbacks and the appeals quite well. And we can, yeah, we can, we can, we can dip into this a little bit right now for sure. Um, it, it talks about, you know, it, I think one of the things that's interesting about it is, you know, so much is the idea that BL is um, targeted at uh, like cis heterosexual women and, and that, you know, may be the case, but also like there's like queer women enjoyed as well. And it was really uh, cool to like, uh, cause Moria has no interest in it, but her partner Aikawa does. And Aikawa kind of says like, yeah, Yuri doesn't really work for me because it feels kind a lot of it feels like it's targeted at a male audience or the, un- like the unreality is maybe the point, but it means that I can't really feel like I can map myself to it because it doesn't match my personal experience at all. Yeah. Um, but she's yeah, like, that but was she, really yeah. interesting. Yeah, but she's like, but with BL, because it's guys, it's the fact that it's that it is supposed to be untethered from reality doesn't bother me like it does. Um, so I can just kind of get swept up in like the fantasy of it all. Um, so I like that element. I do. That's one of the few places like there's there's very few places in the story where, where guys show up. And I think that's fine because this we don't get a lot of like sex ed, sex positive media geared towards um I mean, cis women, but still girls. Um, and so I like that that is um, the focus of the series. But that is one moment where I think it might have been nice to have like one gay guy there to talk mm-hmm. about it. To weigh um, in, yeah. Yeah, because, because I mean, and that's that's a that's a, a sort of a mixed conversation among, you know, from what I've read of um, from Japanese gay men is like some of them are like, yeah, BL's fine, whatever. And some of them are like, yeah, I do find it kind of uncomfortable. But typically when when you read the criticism, it's like, it's not necessarily the content itself, but it's like some of the fans fetishize real life people, which Matsuda does sort of fall into the trap of. And I think if, I think if I have a critique about that storyline is I do wish there had been a moment where they'd been like, Hey Matsuda, like it's fine to enjoy this fiction and like also understand it's not, it's not tethered to reality, but also like making up fantasies about real life people being gay is kind of messed up and Mm. you need to like you need to like separate those two things because you shouldn't be you know don't don't fetishize actual human beings like um and i I do wish it had gone a little bit harder on that but i think the overall conversation about bl itself and like what you know what value what value it has and what some of the detractions are and also it did a nice job of pointing out that a lot of more recent bl is more grounded in like actual queer issues and like you know the lgbt community and um that's how they get moria to try stuff she was like okay yeah give me some of those more realistic series because i might actually like that Mm -hmm. um well it even it it even 
you know, take like it would have been nice to have some some queer men in that uh, in that section. But I did appreciate that it takes a moment with with Matsuda to to kind of pull over and be like, hey, you know that a lot of BL can be kind of insulting and also um, uses some terms that are considered derogatory Mm -hmm. in uh, in in modern. And she's like, oh, I did shit. I did not realize that. Yeah, I did like that where she's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't use that kind of terminology anymore. I thought it was interesting that apparently the term Fujoshi is getting some pushback um, as Mm -hmm. being homophobic because um, it, you know, it began as sort of this like self-derogatory, oh, I'm rotten because I, I like reading stories about two boys kissing um, and sort of that idea of like, okay, well, why is it rotten for, why why is a gay couple rotten? Like that mm. that is, is itself, like I had not necessarily seen that criticism before. And so I thought that was, that was uh, a good point and one I hadn't, you know, necessarily thought of that they brought up there. So, um, and it also leads into that sort of quite funny scene where they're trying to come up with like new terminology and nothing quite mm-hmm. sort of fits, but yeah. I, I, can't remember, I can't remember who it is, but what I was like, what if we call it like fans of like BL and Yuri gardeners? Because, you know, it's lilies and it's roses and it's like, I don't know, I thought that was cute. Which, again, another great example of, you know, blending these more serious grounded conversations with, you know, the gags, the laughs, the goofs. Yeah. Um, which is the well, manga's whole deal. It makes it, I don't know, it felt very earnest, even if mm-hmm. it didn't necessarily come to a, you know, uh, a gold star conclusion about what the right thing to do is. No, I agree. I, I actually sort of like that this, and I do like that the series doesn't necessarily like, it's not like every single chapter has like a hard and fast moral. Like the series is very, very, it comes down very, very hard on like bodily autonomy, for an example, um, in the reproductive rights chapter or, you know, not, not victim blaming. And like, it's not like if you get, if you are assaulted, it is not your fault, like full stop a hundred percent. It comes down very hard on those types of topics, but there's it definitely allows itself some wiggle room with some of the things like like you know like fictional fantasy versus you know um like it gives itself more wiggle room i think with some of the more like fantastical topics um mm-hmm, which i mm-hmm. thought was 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 you know good good of it to to sort of acknowledge like i don't have all the answers and this is a conversation that is being debated by the queer community in japan uh, to this day so that's where we are yeah, the gardener's thing was neat because I was like, yeah, language is hard, huh, kids? Uh, <laughs> I would also like to change some terms, but it's tough. It's tough out there. Hey, everyone. Peter here. This episode ran a little long, so we decided to split it into a two-parter. Uh, D, Alex, and Vry will be picking things back up in about two weeks with a little more or a lot more on Sex Ed 120%. Uh, I'm going to let D play us out with her original outro from the episode uh, and hope she forgives me for making her reuse the same Pokemon movie joke. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF. We hope you had a great time and learned a little something, too. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, really wherever you get your podcasts, we're probably hanging out there. Or if you're really feeling fired up from this episode, why not head over to patreon.com backslash anime feminist and become a supporter. You can become a member for as little as $1 a month. And for just $5 a month, you get access to the Anifem Discord, as well as monthly bonus podcasts where we recommend titles, discuss genres, and sometimes get into fights about which Pokemon movie is the best. <laughs> You can hear f- more from the entire Anime Feminist team at AnimeFeminist.com, on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. We also have a store, AnimeFeminist.com backslash store, where you can find cute and cool merch for the progressive geek on the go. Or, if you want to hang out with just the three of us individually, aw shucks, you can find us all on Twitter, uh, I, D, D is at Jose Next Door, Alex is at The Aficionado, and Rye is at Writer Rye. And that's the show! <laughs> <laughs>